Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name is Levi Hazen. I serve as the Executive Director of Life and Messiah International. Life and Messiah has been sharing God's heart for the Jewish people since 1887. I'm excited for part two of our discussion with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Today, Dr. Michael Rydelnik shares his journey to the Jewish Messiah on the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Well, Dr. Rydelnik, we had such a great time in our first part of our discussion on the history of modern Israel. I think uh, our listeners really enjoyed that. And uh, thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion on your journey to faith. My pleasure. Uh, glad to be with you. Well, I want to dive right in today. Uh, you grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in a conservative Jewish home being the son of Holocaust survivors. How is it that you arrived at the conclusion that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah? Well, shockingly, I I realized this past April, it was 48 years since I made a faith decision. Uh, When I became a follower of Yeshua, it was, I think that even that very day, I would have thought I'm the least likely person ever to believe in him. I was so closed and so hostile to it. Uh, didn't even realize when God was working on my heart. Um, I, I was raised in a traditionally observant Jewish home. We kept Shabbat. We kept kosher. We we were uh, not just uh, nominally uh, observant, but genuinely observant Jewish home. Uh, my parents were both Holocaust survivors. My mom uh, was from Germany. My dad from Poland. My dad was raised in a Hasidic tradition, ultra, ultra Orthodox side curls, black hat, that kind of stuff. Uh, he married, was a cabinet maker, had four sons, adopted his brother's da- daughter. His brother did not have the financial ability to care for one more child. And so when this baby girl was born, my dad adopted her. So he, he was technically her uncle, but became her dad. And then uh, they, uh, when Hitler invaded Poland, his whole family was, was sent to the ghetto. They were caught up and his wife and five children were then uh, taken to Auschwitz where they were murdered. And uh, most of his other family, uh, parents, grandparents, siblings, uh, perished in Treblinka. Uh, they were taken from the Chmelnik ghetto to Treblinka and uh, his sister, he had one, he was one of six children. He had a sister that survived and after the war moved to Israel, Uh, but four of his siblings also perished. So uh, that was my dad's side. Uh, Then my mom, uh, she was raised in a fairly observant German Jewish home. Uh, Her dad was a uh, Polish Jew who had come to Germany after World War I and was naturalized German citizen. Uh, Her mom was born in Germany. Uh, After uh, Hitler came to power, 
her dad actually was uh, kicked out of, of Germany and it was back in Poland. Her mom became quite ill, uh, went into the hospital for a long-term uh, stay. Her, my mom's grandparents only wanted to care for her brother and not for her. So my mom got put in an orphanage. The orphanage mm. happened to be run by Lutheran deaconesses, sort of like Protestant nuns. And mm -hmm. these women were yeah. uh, very sensitive to my mom's Jewish upbringing. In fact, when they taught Bible classes, my mom every day went as a 12 year old to the rabbi for Hebrew school. Uh, mm. But by the time my mom was 16, she, uh, this is all backstory, but by the time she was 16, she made a decision of faith for herself and became a follower of Yeshua. There were a number of at these, the age of six at the age of 16. Yeah. She, wow. she didn't, uh, there were a number of these Jewish women who had become these deaconesses and they were in this order right there, the Friedensort. Uh, and, uh, that was in 1938. In 1939, uh, well, 1938, at near the end of the year, there was Kristallnacht. My, they became worried uh, about my mom being a Jewish girl in this place. And so they sent her to a sister house of deaconesses in Poland. And of course, in September 39, my mom, uh, the Hitler invaded. My mom was caught up in that invasion she was sent to the ghetto and she was in the Ludge ghetto uh, in Ludge, Poland. Uh, then she went to concentration camp. She was in various concentration camps, but the main one, the main time was in uh, Gross Rosen. She survived because she was a nurse and she, she almost didn't survive, but she survived as a nurse. She ran an infirmary, which was 50 aspirin a month and typhoid infected uh, straw on a cot for patients who did took off one day from work at maximum. And so that was, uh, that was my mom. Uh, my dad, after the war remarried and, uh, in, uh, 1948, she gave birth, his new wife gave birth to her first child and she died in childbirth. Uh, she was two weeks from the Holocaust still. She, she uh, this woman, uh, that my dad married. Uh, my dad was wandering around the hospital in Berlin where he was at, where this happened. And he ran into my mom, whom he had met in the Ludge ghetto. My mom was working as a nurse in the geriatric center of this hospital. And my dad recognized her and said, I need you to marry me. And so they, so they married. And this is where it becomes kind of interesting. After they married, my dad forbade her ever to tell anyone that she believed in Yeshua. And uh, I never knew about my mom's faith. Uh, and I only found out about my brother being my adopted half brother. Well, he's a half brother, but also my mom adopted him uh, uh, when I was about nine years old. And then uh, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, a couple things happened. My mom went public about her faith. And uh, my dad uh, divorced her over that. He left the house and, and proceeded to a divorce. Hmm. Uh, my mom, uh, didn't really, she kind of called his bluff, but he, 
he, he pulled it, you know, he, he really did divorce her. Uh, just a few years later, he moved to Israel where he lived out his days. Uh, but I was really angry at my mom, as you can imagine, for breaking up our family. Uh, although I think the reason my mom started going to a Bible study and went public about her faith was because she was have they were having marital issues at the time. And so uh, she was seeking, she felt that she needed spiritual solace and she kind of walked back to her faith. And that's the first I ever heard of it. It's the first I ever heard about her believing back when she was 16. And uh, uh, we had a lot of arguments over this. I wouldn't even talk to her about it. Uh, and ultimately, I decided I was going to get this woman who was teaching my mom the Bible to leave her alone. And I basically blamed this woman. Her name was Hilda Kozer. Uh, and she challenged me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to show this woman that Yeshua, or Jesus, as I called him, was not the Messiah. And, uh, and then she'll leave my mom alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it became obvious to me that her answers made more sense than mine did. But I never really, I never really addressed that. I, I just would argue with her. And uh, she did challenge me once to ask God to show me if Yeshua was the Messiah. Mm. And I said I didn't need to because he wasn't. And she then said, this is the kind of funny part. She said, well, then what are you afraid of? So I gave the probably the worst prayer in the history of prayers. Uh, you know, God, I know that Yeshua isn't the Messiah. Uh, but if he is, and I know he's not, you can show me. But I know you won't because he's not. <laughs> that is it. And that was sort of what I prayed. Uh, my mom had always been nagging me to come to services at this Messianic congregation where this woman was a teacher. Uh, and I always said no. And she she would always try the try it just one time like she did with broccoli or any other kind of foods that I didn't want to eat growing up. And uh, I just said no. And then finally, one day she said there was a film about Israel that was going to be shown. And... Uh, why don't I come for that? And I thought, that's perfect. I'll go one time, say I hate it. I'll never have to go back again. So I went that one morning. There were about 200 people at this congregation. And the film was called His Land. It was produced by someone I had never heard of. His name was Billy Graham. Mm. It, it had a rock and roll singer whom I had heard of, uh, Cliff Richard, but also a guy named Cliff Barrows. And they were walking around Israel. And the first half of the film was all about how the prophets had foretold the restoration of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. I'm going, yeah, I like this. This is good. And then the second half was about how the prophets had foretold the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't believe this. As I sat there, I was struck by a number of ideas. One was that I, that I was being kind of a hypocrite, that the parts I liked, I was accepting, and the parts I didn't like, I was not accepting. The other idea that I got was that if Yeshua is really the one predicted by the prophets, then he's the Jewish Messiah. Mm. And even if I were the only Jew ever to believe in him, I would be a good Jew to believe in the Jewish Messiah. And so I thought this, and then uh, I had already talked quite extensively with Hilda Kozer about sacrifice. Uh, and the need for the Messiah to be our final sacrifice. Uh, the, the requirement of the Torah to have a sacrificial system. And I, we argued about that quite a bit. And just then, I think that was the real key for me, is I understood the point of Yeshua, hmm. that, he, that he was a 
suffering servant, that he had died as a sacrifice for our sins. And of course, implied in that, I understood was that he was raised from the dead so that he was alive to be our intercessor. And uh, as I sat there thinking about these things, the man from the Billy Graham Association got up and gave something called an invitation, which I had never heard of. He said, anyone that wanted to believe in Yeshua, we're all going to bow our heads. If anyone wanted to believe, uh, raise your hand. And I thought, well, I'm never going to raise my hand in front of all these people. But they were all had their heads bowed. And I thought, the only one I'll ever see is this guy. And I'm never going to see him again. And I, I was just wondering about it, then shocked myself by seeing my hand go up. <laughs> um, and uh, I was kind of rude to the guy afterwards. He wanted to pray with me. I said, I haven't prayed about this, as I said. You know, the worst prayers ever, but I did pray about it. And so I didn't pray with him. And uh, my mom got all excited. And I said, mm. stop it. I'm not going to be a fanatic like you. Mm. And uh, I had a sister who I had talked out of becoming a follower of Yeshua a couple times already. And she came up. She was there that day because I had gone. And she was like, I can't believe you did this, you rat. You know, she became a follower of Yeshua that day uh, later on. And then uh, I got a Bible from Ms. Kozer, which I didn't understand because it was in Elizabethan English. And I didn't want it. I said, I've got a Bible. It's in Hebrew. But she's, no, no, you need something with the New Testament. And uh, and that was the day. It really took a few days for me to really grasp. God wanted me to understand his word. I was, and, uh, and, and study it and teach it. And, uh, but that's another story. But uh, that was the day I came to faith in Yeshua. And uh, I've looked back. I've only made two really spontaneous decisions big about that will affect my whole life. Yeah. Uh, spontaneously. I've been thinking about it, but then spontaneously I made that decision to raise my hand. It was the best decision. Hmm. And then one day after thinking about this for about a week, I was on the phone with a, a girl that was my closest friend at school. And I said to her out of the blue, I think you should marry me. And she said, yes, we talked about it in person after that. And that's the other spontaneous decision I made. Uh, and I've never read that one either. So uh, you chose very well. Eva's uh, a wonderful woman of God. So <laughs> Yes. And so uh, that was a good move I made, uh, those two spontaneous decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, yeah, thank you for sharing yeah. your story. And, you know, we've had several other Jewish believers on this program who have shared their stories of, of how they arrived at faith in Yeshua. Um, after you came to faith, uh, did you find that there was a lot of pushback, uh, from the Jewish community that you were living in? Yeah, quite a bit. My dad took me to see some, my dad was really angry because I told him about it. He took me to see some, uh, Lubavitch rabbis who specialized in what they called, uh, anti-conversion, mm-hmm. the anti-schmat campaign. And uh, it really distressed my dad because they didn't even have answers for me. And I was just a brand new follower of Yeshua. I just talked about what convinced me and they didn't have answers Hmm. for that. Uh, And then I'd say the first two years that I was a follower of Yeshua made a big impact at my high school. We had about 35 Jewish followers of Yeshua at my high school. And I was kind of the ringleader of this group. Uh, saw a lot of Jewish people come to faith. There was a lot of pushback from the Jewish community because of that. Uh, Jewish Defense League, which is a very small, microscopically small segment of the Jewish community, actually got a little violent with me. Hmm. Uh, 
so much so that uh, I had to leave New York for a brief while because they were threatening my life. Uh, so there was pushback, but that was a very minor uh, issue. Uh, the, the real pushback was I had friends that were coming to faith and then their parents would make them go to the rabbi and I would go see the rabbi with them. And there was a lot of pressure. Uh, and, and I really understand it. Uh, you know, you don't want to hurt your parents' feelings. You didn't want to betray your community. Uh, there's almost a sense of feeling like you're committing cultural suicide. Uh, and that's what my dad said to me, that, you know, your children will be anti-Semites. Your children will be Nazis. Your children will be the ones that will uh, uh, persecute or hurt Jews. Mm. And it's one of the reasons why for me, I, because of that pushback, I was determined to maintain a very strong Jewish identity and continue to identify with the Jewish people, even though I get that pushback, because it was so important to me because Yeshua is the Jewish Messiah. It should not be contradictory to believe in him. I'd say one of the happiest moments of my life, and I didn't realize it until I was scared at the time, but uh, I, uh, I realized that that night afterwards, uh, when my younger boy, who had become uh, an Israeli citizen and was drafted into the Israel Defense Forces, and then he volunteered to be in quite a... Uh, what I would call a dangerous infantry unit. Uh, and we stood at the Western Wall and watched him take his oath. And there he swore to give his life in defense of his country and of the Jewish people and the citizens of Israel. And uh, as I saw him do that, I was really struck that the words of my father did not come true, mm. that, that my children are defenders of the Jewish people uh, and identify strongly with them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I faced pushback, but my own pushback was not just my determination to follow Yeshua, which is clear, but also my determination to do it as a Jewish person and raise a Jewish family that would do so as well. Yeah. And that leads to the other side of the question. If you're identifying with the Jewish people as a follower of Yeshua, um, have you received pushback from those in the church? Uh. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say there. sometimes there's a lack of understanding of the role that Jewish believers play. Uh, there's like, I always envision it as two overlapping circles. If one represents the Jewish people, one circle, and then the other represents the church, these two circles overlap. And right in the middle of it, where, where they overlap, that's the Jewish believer, the remnant of Israel, as Paul mm. calls it. At the one point, we're the faithful remnant of Israel, calling our people, identifying with them, and calling them to faith in Yeshua. And at the same time, we're the Jewish part of the church. And a lot of people, you know, you know, there's no Jew nor Greek. They say, mm -hmm. I always find it interesting. The people who point that out to me uh, see distinctions between male and female. They recognize that Paul gives guidelines for slave and free. Uh, what Paul means in Galatians 3.28 there is that when it comes to justification by faith, there's no distinction whether you're a man or a woman, a Jew or a Gentile, a slave or a free man. We all come by grace through faith in Yeshua. When it comes to justification by faith, there's no distinction. 
doesn't mean there aren't cultural, ethnic, uh, important distinctions that God has established. And uh, I did. I have gotten pushed back. You know, uh, when I first came to be a professor at Moody, there was uh, uh, someone in administration that got upset with me for not teaching on uh, Passover. You know, he gave me the when Rome. Uh, you should do as the Romans. And I said, well, no, I just don't see that. I have a certain amount of personal days. I'm going to take them. I've had people uh, tell me that I need to worship in a different style than I do, Hmm. uh, or of a non-Jewish cultural expression of faith. Uh, There have been churches that questioned my orthodoxy as a follower of Yeshua, not because I have ever said anything that's questionable to them or written anything questionable about my faith, but uh, but just because I identify as Jewish. So yeah, there's been pushback. Uh, happily, I will say this: many Jewish, many people in the church are intrigued to learn from someone who is Jewish. Uh, you know, I look at the student reviews that I get uh, every you know every year. They review us when we teach. And students will frequently say, I got an insight into the Bible just because he kept looking at it as a Jew, mm-hmm. uh, as a Jewish person. And and so, uh, you know, I, I feel that's okay. But nevertheless, there's always some students that complain. Uh, they'll, they'll say something like, well, he always just reads the Bible like he's Jewish. Like, what difference <laughs> does that make? That's that's unusual, but that happens as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the Tove podcast, we've reminded our listeners time and time again that the authors of our Bible are Jewish. And uh, it's all set in a Jewish perspective. So, well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have one final question for Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to his people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Well, Dr. Idelnik, I know that we are winding down our time here on the Tove podcast, but chances are we probably have some listeners out there um, who are listening and they're just kind of inquisitive and they are considering the claims of Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, What's your advice to folks out there who are listening to the Tove podcast and uh, are considering the claims of Jesus? A couple things I would say, whether you're Jewish or not, I think one of the most important things to do is to really get a grip on what does the the Bible say about the future Messiah. The reason I think this is so crucial is that so often, I, you know, I was raised in a traditional Jewish home. We were taught Messiah will bring peace. Messiah will bring justice. Uh, you know, the world's going to be perfect. And, uh, you know, even my dad, I'd ask for a new bicycle. He'd say, when the Messiah comes, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have a new bicycle. Uh, but, you know, we have this sort of ideal view of what the world will be like when Messiah comes. It was only when I began to study not just what the Bible says, but how the rabbis interpreted it that I saw that they were predictions of a coming Messiah who would suffer, who would die, who would be resurrected, uh, who would be uh, a new lawgiver uh, like Moses. In so many ways, a great miracle worker. 
there, there's so many ways that he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, I believe a verse that the rabbis didn't recognize, but it's clear that he would be born of a virgin. Many verses that were fulfilled by Jesus. So I would say, if you're Jewish, have a look at those prophecies. Uh, and uh, th there are a number of sources that you can go to to find uh, studies on them. But uh, yeah, get, get a look at those prophecies. Now, if you're not Jewish, say, well, what does that have to do with me? Hey, if you can look at a prophet writing in 700 BC and he can know uh, that the Messiah would be rejected by Israel and would suffer a humiliating death or that David would know 1000 BC that the Messiah would be crucified, that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Well, that's all the more reason to believe in Jesus. When I see in the New Testament, why are the, the apostles declaring that Jesus is really the promised one? Why do they do this? It's because this remarkable, these remarkable fulfillment, remarkable fulfillments of prophecy. Mm. So that's the first thing. The second thing, whether you're Jewish or not, uh, I knew growing up in a Jewish home that I didn't know much about Jesus. I only knew that there are some people that use that as a curse word, that name. Uh, I thought his last name, Christ, was a last name and not a title. I was so shocked to find out that Christ meant Messiah. And then I, Jesus, the Messiah, that's who he claimed to be? I always thought it was just the last name, mm. you know, Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, <laughs> uh, and their little boy, Jesus Christ. I, I didn't know this stuff. I found myself ignorant of the true Jesus. Uh, I found myself growing up thinking that every Christian and that the New Testament taught that Jewish people were somehow Christ killers. The New Testament doesn't teach that. There's a lot of uh, false ideas or lack, ignorance. There's ignorance of what uh, Jesus said and did and how Jewish he was. Uh, and uh, I would just uh, encourage you, if you're Jewish, get yourself the book of Matthew in the New Testament mm. and read about Yeshua. See what he really said. Uh, get to know him for what the Bible actually says about the New Testament actually says about him and not what uh, what we've heard or not heard. Yeah. Actually, get, get a look at it. Uh, Joseph Rabinovich was a, uh, a lawyer from Kiev who went to Israel in the 1880s during that first movement. And someone handed him a New Testament in Hebrew. He had never read it. He went and sat on the Mount of Olives and looked at the old city of Jerusalem and read the Gospel of Matthew. Mm. And that changed his life, that one seating. He sat there, he read it, he closed it and said, this is Yeshua, our brother. And he became a follower of Yeshua by mm. reading that. Mm. Uh, I would say he, he discovered that this is not just the God of the Gentiles, which is what we have been told, but this is Yeshua, our Messiah. This is our King and uh, our brother too. And so, uh, so I would say, and that also if you're not Jewish, get yourself a New Testament, read it, see what Jesus really said, not what you've heard always. Uh, so that's that's my that's my challenge. Uh, read the Hebrew Bible about Messianism, and uh, also read about the Messiah in the New Testament. Yeah, Amen. 
If you're interested in learning a little bit more about Dr. Rydelnik's story, you can also view a Day of Discovery special called My Search for Messiah. It's available on rightnowmedia.com if you have a subscription to that, or you can buy it on amazon.com and uh, I'm sure a host of other places. It's called My Search for Messiah, where Dr. Michael Rydelnik shares his journey to faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Well, Dr. Rydelnik, thank you very much for joining us today on the Tove podcast. Uh, if you have found us, that's wonderful. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove podcast, you can visit us on Spotify, iTunes, or a host of other platforms. And of course, tovepodcast.com is available for your pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on the Tove podcast. Shalom. Shalom.